Wayne's going to be continuing his um, sermon, uh, continuing his series, I should say, on knowing Jesus from the book of John. And I'm going to be reading today from John chapter 4, 43 through to uh, 5, chapter 5, 18. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up. You can read along together. Uh, that's uh, John chapter 4, uh, verses 43, and I'm going to be reading from there. At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. And just on that, I believe that's carrying on from what Wayne was speaking last week. He's been in Samaria. And so after those two days of, of spending time with the Samaritans, effectively becoming unclean. <laughs> sorry, I wanted to get into your message here, Wayne, sorry. But uh, he's moved on to Galilee. Anyway, he himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own town, own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that this was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he as an ent- and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else is always ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find ways to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. Thanks, Wayne. Good morning, everybody. Thanks very much, Blair, for the, for the reading and a little back 
Yeah, taking us back into John four forty two because that's where we're going to go. Um, just to just to recap some some thoughts and and to develop them a little bit more this morning uh, from that uh, incident from John four that we looked at last week, where Jesus said the Father is looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to take a couple of moments to just dig a little deeper into that. And if you, those of you that are here or you've watched the teaching, you'll see that I said that essentially I think what Jesus is saying is that worshiping God in spirit and truth is, is basically great commandment worship. It's loving God with my whole being, my whole mind, heart, soul and strength. I talked about it being expressive passion for God governed by biblical truth. And we want to keep those things together. I want to use my whole body. As the Bible says, I want to use my percussion instruments, right? You all got percussion instruments. You're all percussionists. You know that, don't you? You're all in the band. Yeah, it's good. Uh, we want to use our, our hands. We want to use our knees. We want to bend. We want to, we want to do everything because we want to ex- use our whole body to express our worship to God. But worship isn't just something that happens here on a Sunday. It happens in different places. But we're going to, uh, I want to actually encourage you this morning to be Bereans. Now, if you don't know what a Berean is, uh, the Bereans were in a village in that Paul visited. Acts chapter 17 tells us that the Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So it's those things that we want to be doing. We want to be people who are like Bereans. We want to be uh, receive the message with great eagerness, but examine the scriptures, see if what Paul was saying was really true. See what Wayne is saying is really true. Now here's a trick question. Are you more liable to be deceived by the lyrics of a song you're singing or by the preaching? I said it was a trick question, didn't I? Tis. What's the answer? The song. You're more liable to be deceived by a song than you are by preaching because often you're not paying attention to the words that you're singing. You're being swept up. In, in the moment and the emotion that you're feeling. So I want to encourage us as we be people who worship in spirit and truth, being Bereans in worship in what we're singing is essential. You have to examine not just what the preacher says, you have to examine the lyrics of the songs that are being sung to make sure they line up with what scriptures say. You can't just assume that because a song is popular, that it's biblical. Uh, you can't, you know, because of how it moves your emotions, don't assume that it's scriptural. It can be just one line in a song. I find that really annoying. There's some great songs where it's just one line. You go, oh, please, can we cut that out? But we're not allowed to because that's a breach of copyright, sadly. But we don't want to throw, throw everything out. Here's an example. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. What a beautiful name. The name of Jesus. It's a great song, isn't it? Listen to the lyrics as a Berean. You got your Bereans on? See if you can identify what's true from Scripture and what isn't. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. 
Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? That's not all the song, but there's a problem in some of those lyrics. What's the problem? Did you hear it? We've sung this song, by the way. Some of our worship leaders omit the words that I've put in. I haven't added them in. They omit the verse with the wrong words in. The problem is this line. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. And some of you are going, hmm. So is that what the scriptures say? Does the scripture say God didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down? Well, clearly I don't think they do. I've, I've read the book. I've read all 66 of them. I don't find that. What I do find is that the scriptures declare God's covenant faithfulness to fulfill his promises to Abraham to redeem creation from the clutches of sin and death. I see that the scriptures speak of God's plan to bring everything under the authority of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1, sorry, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. So just that little phrase, it's like it's wrong. So we need to be Bereans in our worship and we need to teach our children to be Bereans. We need to examine the content of the songs that are being sung. And that's one of the, you, like I said, you can be, you're more vulnerable to being um, misled through the lyrics of a worship song than you are perhaps by the preaching. Not necessarily, but because of the emotional engagement. So we want to be careful. But there's another thing I want to talk about as well when we talk about worshipping in spirit and in truth. And it's this, it's unrealistic to feed our spirit junk food in private and expect to connect with God in worship, whether we do that at home or when we come into a context like this. You see, everything we listen to goes into our spirit. Everything we view goes in, affects our spirit. So the music that we listen to, the TV programs we watch, the things we stream online and the games we play, they all impact our spirit. And there are some many things defile us, but there are things that also they just dull us. So a simple test is this is to ask ourselves, is this helping or hindering me to become a great commandment worshipper? Is it helping me or hindering me to love God with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength? Is it increasing my appetite and my desire to know him and to love him more and more? Or is it dulling me? Is it dumbing me down, so to speak? What appetite is it feeding? I want to put something to you this morning. As we think about what it means to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And it's this thing here right now. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up to answer this question. How many of you planned to get up in sufficient time to spend half an hour at time 
praying, worshipping and reading the scriptures before you got in your, in your vehicle or bus or whatever to come here this morning. So that what you brought was actually the overflow, it was what you'd already been filling your spirit with. It's where we need to get to, people. It's this thing of every day I wake up, I spend, I spend the first 30 minutes of my day, I'm, I'm talking for you, I, I actually spend more than this, but I spend the first 30 minutes of my day with Jesus, worshipping Jesus, praying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, sometimes writing out the scriptures, singing to him in adoration. And so then when I come into a different kind of a context, like a, like a Wednesday night prayer set or a Sunday morning, my heart's already full. My spirit is already alive and engaged. I'm ready to give out of the overflow because I've been fueling my spirit. You see, this dullness of spirit is something that, that actually robs us as a people. We just, we're settling for something that we shouldn't settle for. So there is this thing of, there are things that we, we do that defile our spirit, unrepent, and if we're unrepentant towards those things, to, and not bringing them to, to the cross of Christ, that's going to impact our worship. But so is the dullness, because we've actually used our time unwisely. We haven't fed our spirit on the knowledge of God. We haven't grown in wisdom and revelation of who he is. So the Father's looking for collectively people who will worship him in spirit and in truth all across the earth. We want to, uh, we're just, I want to stir you up this morning to say bring, what's, bring the overflow. When you come into a corporate context, bring the overflow of what you've done at home. So, yeah, Sunday mornings, make sure you get up, get yourself organized and ready so you can got 30 minutes before you, before you come here to begin, that, begin worshiping him, speaking out praise, singing to him, however you, however you want to engage with him. So, all right. So this morning we're going to talk about Jesus. We're meeting Jesus and, and here John's telling us that John, Jesus claims to be equal with God. We got to that in verse 18 of chapter 5. Remember again, John writes because he wants us to know that we will, so that he, we will continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you'll have life in the power of his name. This is why John writes his, his gospel. So it's a great book to read and be familiar with. So here we are. We this in these reading that we had today. We've we've got Jesus uh, heading from that village at, in Samaria. He's gone north again, up into Cana. There's a man that's come across for Capernaum, from Capernaum to to have a conversation with him. And then later on, we're going to see Jesus back down in Jerusalem. So there's a there's a lot of territory that's covered here. So we've got a desperate dad. And we've got a dejected man that meet Jesus today. So here we go, everybody. Got your skates on? Ready? Energy level up? Okay. So Jesus does have these extra two days in Samaria, and then they go north to Cana. And he's left behind a transformed village. And I'm looking forward to meeting those Samaritans in the resurrection and hearing the details of their encounter with Jesus. Are you thinking about that? Thinking, well, it's going to be cool to have a chat to them and kind of... What did they, how did that two days look? 
with, the, with Jesus there. So then Jesus arrives in Cana. And I thought to myself, I wonder if they're still drinking the wine. Because that was a lot of wine that he made for that wedding. I wonder if they're still working their way through it, you know? So that would be an interesting conversation as well. So then there's a government official that comes uh, from Capernaum to Cana because he hears that Jesus is in town. Now, in your translation, it probably says a government official. That's what was read to us this morning. But that can sound like anything, can't it? That could, be, that could sound like it's someone who works for any government agency. The text is actually a bit more specific, but we've the translators work and they try to put it in language that you understand. And so what they mean is this guy's employed by Herod to look after his palace in that area, right? Because Herod is, governs that particular territory. And this is a man that actually has servants. So he's a man with significant power and authority within and under, the, under King Herod in what he's doing. So here it tells you something of the desperateness in this man's heart for his son. Because what he has to do, it's a 20-mile gap between, and I forget what the kilometers are. Someone can work him out. The, it's, is that 30 kilometers? 32, thank you very much. It's 32, any advance on 32? Um, 32 kilometres. So this man has got to walk it and it's, and it's undulating and it's uphills and downhills and all those kind of things. So it's going to take him at least seven hours to walk from Capernaum to Cana to con- try to convince Jesus to co- walk back with him <laughs> to heal his son. So this man is taking at least two days out of his week. So that tells us something of the desperateness in this father's heart for his son. He's a desperate dad. This kid has not just got a cold. This kid is on death's door. And he's, he is very much hoping that he's going to convince Jesus to walk back with him to Capernaum and heal his son. So this desperate dad comes to Jesus. And one of the things that we we see in Jesus many, many times is people will come and ask him something and he will say something. Sometimes it seems like he's rebuking them. Sometimes it seems like he's asking them a harsh question. And it's like he's testing their resolve. So one of the things I want to say to you this morning is when you're asking Jesus something... Don't always expect him to say, oh, that's so wonderful that you're asking me that. Oh, that's, I just love it. I just so love that you've come. Because when, when you see him, most of the time, he says things like this. Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? I don't know exactly if that was his tone of voice. But the question of, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? But that's a fair enough question, isn't it? Even today, like I used to think that that if only Jesus would show up and do some of the stuff today through the body of Christ that he was doing back then when he was walking on the earth, like healing the sick and all those kind of things, that people would flock to him. Have you thought that? Do you think if only we could get him to turn some water into wine, that would convince people? 
of him. If only we could get a paralyzed person up out of their wheelchair, healed in the name of Jesus, the world would flock to Jesus. The answer is that that does not, that still, that didn't happen then and it still won't happen today. I do want to say at the end of today, we are going to pray for people in the room who are sick and want healing. And so if that's you, get ready to come forward at the end because we are going to pray. We are going to ask Jesus to heal sick people today because that's who he is and what he does. But Jesus, he he puts this question to this man and this dad is undissuaded by Jesus. He's desperate and he's resolute and he says, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. This is a very desperate father. And then Jesus says to him, go back home. Your son will live. That's not what this dad was hoping for. I mean, that the son would live is what he's hoping for, but go back home. It's like, but I think something in Jesus' voice and something in his eyes put confidence into that desperate dad's spirit and he begins the long walk home, which is going to take him and he's going to have an overnight stay on the way. He's got no mobile phone to call to find out what's gone on at home. But there must have been something that caused him to go, okay, and head on. And we know from the reading that the next day, so he's had an, he's slept somewhere, and the next day he's meets some, some of his servants who are coming, and they're coming excitedly, they're coming with the news, your son is healed. And it's like, when did that happen? And they like cross-match on the time thing and they realized it was exactly that moment that he was having this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus said, go home, your son is healed. Right at that moment, that healing took place. And you can imagine the relief that washed over this father. Because even though he had confidence that what he'd seen in Jesus was going to come true, and it happened, it's an absolute relief, isn't it, to have the word confirmed. And to hear that news and know that it is. And the scripture tells, John tells us that that man went back. And what happened? We've got the same thing that happened. Well, very similar. He tells us this entire household believed in Jesus. Very similar to the Samaritan village as well. It's like this whole household believed in Jesus and John says this is the second miraculous sign now remember there's seven John puts seven miraculous signs in his book this is the second one parents I want to encourage you this morning to to be having ongoing conversations with Jesus about your kids ongoing conversations with Jesus about your kids because All the research shows us that it's actually a parent's influence that is the strongest determination of a child embracing Christ for themselves. It's not their peer group. It's not their school. It's not their youth group. It's parents. Parents, if they see you pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly in the house, they are more likely 
to pursue him wholeheartedly for themselves. So you've got to keep taking your kids to Jesus. You've got to keep going to Jesus for yourself on behalf of your kids, fighting for them in prayer and fasting, uh, causing them to asking Jesus for revelation and insight and understanding that you'll know who they are, who he's called them to be. You'll help to grow them in the wisdom and knowledge of who he is. So parents, just a little encouragement to you. Keep going. Don't, don't let, uh, don't be deceived or discouraged by thinking that our influences outside the home are greater than your influence inside the home. It ebbs and flows, it's ups and downs, and I know all those things and weird boys go through teenage years and all those kind of things. But still the number one thing that the research shows is that the parents' wholehearted pursuit of Jesus leads a child to the similar pursuit of Jesus. So now we come to a dejected man. So we've had a desperate dad, now we come to a desperate man um, down in the pool of Bethesda. Uh, for those of you that are interested to know, archaeological dig in 1956 uh, confirmed the very existence of the Pool of Bethesda, for those people that like those sort of information. Uh, it's actually two pools and the porticos are surrounded and there's one in the middle as well. You can find out all this for yourself. And one of the things, that, one of the deepest points of these pools are actually t 10 metres deep. So it's got these grottos around the outside of it and um, the Dead Sea Scrolls refers to it as the house of two springs or the house of two pools. And uh, some manuscripts of John uh, have an extra verse explaining that people believe that an angel from God came occasionally and stirred the water and the first person that got in got healed. You know, it's kind of like something, I don't know, but there's actually no records of that ever happening. It's a, it's a superstition. It's an urban legend. And I want to say this. People in pain are vulnerable. People in pain are vulnerable. People who are desperate to be free of the pain that they're experiencing, desperate for healing, can be misled with so-called miracle cures. And there's a never-ending supply of these throughout history all over the world. Here's some of the current ones we've got going right now. If you buy the right crystal, you'll get healing. You'll get, you'll get improved mental health. Put this, put this crystal under your pillow. It'll get you a job. It'll bring you wealth and fame and happiness. Some of you have heard that. Some of you know that if you... Another one is if you hang an evil eye in your home, it'll ward off evil spirits. It's popular around the place. Uh, another one is if you hang a dream catcher or a rainbow catcher is another name for this, that will protect you and your family. Or another one is if you design your house or garden to harness and harmonize the unseen energy forces of nature, that will bring good fortune to you. And of course, the, the celestial one that most, many Australians buy into is the lucky, lucky lotto numbers one. Get your lucky lotto numbers in. So, and you, all your dreams will come true. So, it's interesting that people prefer to trust inanimate objects, such as rocks and crystals and things of that nature, than that worship the true and living God. It's crazy. It, I mean, it, it just is like, hang on. You, th this is the kind of stuff that um, the prophets mock 
because it's like people are making a taking a log they're chopping it up they're using some to cook their dinner on with you know they make a fire but they take another take another piece of that same log and they carve it out carve out a figurine and then they put that there and then they bow down and worship it and it's like it's got no eyes it can't see you it's got no got no ears it can't hear you it's just a piece of wood people that's what the prophets are going it's just a piece of wood you've got the true and living god who will hear your voice but you prefer this inanimate object this rock this crystal This, you prefer this, you think that is more powerful than the God who spoke the universe into being? Some people, I think, try to have a bet each way. They mix a bit of God with other things. And there's even some false and dangerous claims that are made in the name of Christ. Some of them you might have heard. This is not one, I'm going to use a personal pronoun, but this is not one I'm saying. Send me your money and Jesus will heal you. There was a self-proclaimed prophet in South Africa who told people, come forward for healing. I will spray you with insecticide and you will be healed. Jesus will heal you. People did it. People did it. Interestingly, the insecticide he used was not Mortine. It was named Doom. He sprayed people's faces with doom, claiming they would be healed and the demons would go in Jesus' name. And people believed him. Why do you have to be Berean? Why do you have to know the scriptures? So you don't get conned by people doing stupid, ungodly things like that. You're able to go, that is not Jesus. Oh, but you could buy some holy water from Lords in France. That's a bit more respectable, isn't it? Or perhaps lie by this pool and wait for a moment when the underground spring burps. But we'll tell you it's an angel that stirred the waters and the first one in gets healed. So that's what this man has been doing for 38 years. Because people in pain are vulnerable. But people in pain need the biblical Jesus, not something else. So think about this man. For 38 years, someone has carried this man to the pool each day. And day after day, he's laid there with others, watching the water, waiting for something to happen, chatting, talking. I'm, I'm sure it's quite a community. They're all sharing their own misery with each other. And Jesus comes in and... I. I always think this is so fascinating. Of all the people that are lying there, why Jesus picked this man? Maybe he asked around or maybe he had a word of knowledge that that guy's been there the longest. Maybe he was the oldest looking person around the pool. And he goes up to him and he says, he asks him this very interesting question. Would you like to get well? I I used to read that thing. Why on earth would you ask someone who's been sick for 38 years, lying by a pool, if they would like to be well? What I've learned as I've got older and and matured is that what seems an obvious question and answer, that the answer would be yes, because that's why they're there, is not necessarily so. After 38 years 
of frustration and disappointment, he's dejected and his hope has died and so he's probably living with low-grade dull despair and perhaps he's become content in his infirmity. And it's now his, this is now his identity, you see. So he's now that paralyzed guy that lies by the pool of Bethesda. That's, everyone knows him as that, that guy. That's his identity now. So, and if he was healed, n- no one's going to take care of him anymore. He's going to be responsible to look after himself. So I think underneath this question is a whole lot of other things that Jesus is bringing up to the surface. Would you like to get well? I've had a couple of very interesting conversations with homeless people in the city of Fremantle about their circumstances and asking their story and all those kind of things. And one of the things, I, one of the things that surprised me was is asking them if would they like would they like to not live on the streets. And there's a couple of people I spoke to that said no, they don't want to live. In, they don't want to live in a house. They don't want to get, have to take get a job. They don't, want to have to look, they don't want to have that responsibility of turning up for work every day or five days a week. They don't want to have the responsibility of looking after a house. They prefer actually to live on the streets. I'm not saying that about every homeless person. Please hear me. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've had a couple of conversations with some and they've become conditioned and they actually prefer this lifestyle. And I'm wondering whether there's something similar going on not just with this man but it could go on for all of us and so Jesus asks us do we want to get well because there's a whole lot of implications that flow out of that and if you notice what the man says he begins he doesn't actually answer Jesus question Jesus says do you want to get well he doesn't say yes i want to get well or no i doesn't want to go get well he begins to make excuses doesn't he he says well look i i i got no one to help me get into the pool when the thing like this is my problem jesus but jesus said do you want to get well well interestingly enough Jesus cut through that man's excuses and in fact ignores him and then I think he speaks a word with the command he says stand up pick up your mat and walk and the record tells us John tells us that instantly the man was healed and he stood up and he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking Ah, he's walking home with his mat what do you think's going on in his heart and his emotions? You think he's like skipping down the street? Do you think he's kind of, is he, is he thinking to himself, am I dreaming this or is this really happening? You know, he, have you ever had one of those bizarre moments where you're kind of like, this is so good. Is this a dream or is this real? And I just wonder whether that man was having that kind of moment, even as he's walking down the street with his mat rolled up under his arm. Well, he was quickly brought down to reality because he met some Pharisees coming the other way. It happened to be the Sabbath. And they went, hey, mate, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be carrying your mat on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. Now, all he's doing is breaking their interpretation of the law, by the way. Not breaking. He's not actually disobeying God. And um, the guy in the, <laughs> the bloke says to them, well, well like... You don't understand, like 38 years have been lying by the pool and this bloke came in and said, stand up and walk and take up your mat and I've done that and I'm walking. Like, guys, 
I wonder if he tried to say to them, guys, do you understand what a good day this is? What a good day I'm having? I haven't walked for 38 years. Maybe that was his entire life, I don't know. I haven't walked for 38 years. I've never been able to carry my mat before. So today's a great day. I'm carrying my mat and I'm walking. But they're like, we don't care. Who, who told you? Who said you could do that? He's like, I don't know the bloke's name. He just came in. He said, stand up, take a mat and walk. So I did what he said and I'm walking. Like, I don't know who he is. Very interesting conversation. You can't even imagine the comedy show that it's doing. And um, anyway, later on, John tells us that Jesus found him in the temple. And interesting what Jesus says to him. I want you to ponder this. He says to him, now you are well, stop sinning, lest something even worse may happen to you. I think that's brilliant advice. Stop sinning. I think it's brilliant advice. He's saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. So here we come for a landing, everybody, and we're going to have time for prayer for healing. So the Pharisees find Jesus and they begin harassing him for breaking their Sabbath rules. And then Jesus, he seems to add fuel to their fire because listen to what Jesus says. This is verses 17 and 18 of chapter 5. My father is always working and so am I. And they try and so this provoked them and they determined to find a way to kill him for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So in these short two stories from the Samaritans back up to Cana and back down to this um, to Jerusalem, when Jesus left the Samaritans in the end of chapter 4, they are saying Jesus is the saviour of the world. Now in Jerusalem in the temple, Jesus is claiming equality with God. And in between, we find that he's healed a very sick boy just by speaking a word. He's 20 miles away and then speaking this word to this paralysed man after 38 years. So remember, John is presenting this evidence so that we will believe and others will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing him, we'll have life and power in his name. So the question for all of us is, do we know him? Do we know this Jesus? This Jesus who's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, this Jesus who is equal with God. Now, there are people in this room, in, and in New Life Church who can introduce you if you say I, I don't know Jesus like that but I'd like to know him there are people in the room who can help you please come and speak to myself or one of our fit team members we can direct you to the people who can help you with those and if you're joining us online please drop us an email and we'll get some information to you what we want to do now is have some prayer for healing you know so I want to have a prayer also want to include in this Asking, so if you'd like prayer for healing this morning, I'm going to ask you to come forward in a moment to receive prayer for healing. But also you might, you might have realized as we unpack that story of the man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, that there might be paralyzing patterns of thinking in your mind, that you're actually living by this wrong story. And it could be some fears that if the, if Jesus actually changed your situation, there's some things that would flow from that that you're not actually willing to deal with. Perhaps a sense of responsibility like this man. You're going to have to, people won't take care of you like they have been now. 
We can we can get used to people taking care of us, and we don't we don't want to let go of that. We want people to look after us. We don't want to look after ourselves and be responsible. Look after other people. There's also a third category I want to invite people to come pray for, which is fruitfulness. And what I mean by that is asking Jesus to make you a more fruitful person in every every sense of what that word might mean. A fruitful witness for him, fruitful in ministry for him, a more fruitful life. Um, okay? So let's let's stand together. Let's I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are present with us this morning. We thank you that you've been speaking to us. And even now, Jesus, we're asking you to come as we begin to pray for one another. You'd stretch out your hand and heal the sick. Lord, you do what you did. That father who came for Capernaum and you'd speak a word and healing would take place. You'd deal with the patterns of thinking. You deliver us from from things that were the lies and things we're afraid of. And you, Jesus, that you we would be a fruitful people in every sense of that word. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to continue to do as we pray for one another.